the season of watching and waiting, the season of Advent comes to an end. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. This light is the light of the world, and darkness cannot extinguish it. Jethro is going to come up and light the candle for us, our fifth candle. Let's see if we can figure out this lighter. Thanks, bud. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him not anything, not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. We're going to have tonight our scripture reading. Since the kids are in here with us all, we're not doing announcements. The kids are here with us the whole time. For our scripture reading, we're going to have Linus do our scripture reading tonight. Welcome. Merry Christmas. Can we get the lights up? I think. Merry Christmas. It's good to see you guys. It's Christmas Eve. How many of you guys, did anybody celebrate Christmas today? We did. We did. We celebrated Christmas today because tomorrow we're going to do a bunch of driving. <sighs> a bunch of driving. Today we celebrate the birth of our Lord. We celebrate the uh, incarnation, the coming of Jesus in flesh. We celebrate and we remember all around the world today and tomorrow, that story that, that Linus just read there, people will hear the story of the coming of our king, the coming in flesh of the God-man. Even if it's just a cultural adaptation like the Peanuts, people all over the world are going to be hearing this story. And many people know the story of Christmas. Many people know the story of the baby born in a manger, and, and we see the nativity scenes all over the place and Christmas lights and all that. Or at least we have some sort of a cultural understanding, a cultural um, adaptation of that story. We, uh, I teach third through sixth grade Bible, the kids' school, and uh, <laughs> I did this thing that I used to do when I taught student ministries. See if I have it. The kids are in here today, so can we have a little fun? You guys here today? Yeah? Kids, are you here today? Yeah? <laughs> okay. You guys know the Christmas story that Linus just read? You guys know that story super well, right? You know all the details? Yeah? Okay, here's a question for you. Pop quiz. Pop quiz on the Christmas story. Okay, kids? For the journey to Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph, this is multiple choice, did they A, did they walk? Did they B, Joseph walked and Mary rode a donkey? Did they C, did they ride a bus? Or D, the Bible doesn't say. 
All right, who's, who says A? Who says they walked? Who says B? Joseph walked and Mary rode a donkey. Who says they rode a bus? <laughs> the answer is D. The Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't say. Trick question. I know, I know. Um, let's see. Here's another good one. Christmas has always been observed on A, December 25th, B, January 17th, C, at Grandma's house, or D, none of the above. <laughs> A, December 25th, who says A? Who said January 17th, B? That one doesn't make any sense. Grandma's house, C. <laughs> and D, none of the above. It's, these are trick questions, right? Trick question. One more? You know all the answers. He's in my Bible class. Um, all right. In, uh, in honor of, of this display up here. How many wise men came to see Jesus? How many wise men came to see Jesus? Was it A, one? Was it B, three? Was it C, 12? Was it D, the Bible doesn't say? Who said it was one? Anybody say it was one? How about three? Three? I mean, that's what it looks like, right? Three? Twelve? The Bible doesn't say. I, now you're just catching on to my tricks. So much of this story that we, that's so central to our faith, so much of this story that, that really becomes the bedrock of everything we believe as followers of Jesus, so many of those details come from Christmas carols and cartoons, not from the scripture. It's good to know the story. It's good to every year that to at least re refresh ourselves in the story of the scripture and what actually took place on that Christmas, that first Christmas. But no, Mary didn't necessarily ride on a donkey. The text says nothing about farm animals, just so you know. For that matter, it probably wasn't a silent night. We have no idea how many wise men came. And there's a really good chance it wasn't December 25th. It, <laughs> it probably wasn't. But it's still really good and important for us to take time annually. It's built into our Christian rhythms to tell the story to remind ourselves of the beauty of the Incarnation. Okay, now that I've ruined Christmas, probably for some of you, let's look at uh, our passage for the night. Jump into this. Let's look at the Bible. 
Over the last several weeks, as we've lit these candles and celebrated Advent, we've looked at different Advent themes, the seed of hope. Remember the snake crusher that is promised from the beginning to come as the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. We looked at the star of peace, the coming of peace. We looked at the scepter and joy. And we looked at Jesus, the Savior, out of love. And tonight, we're going to look at the incarnation. And I'm going to try to do it relatively quick because there's little ones in here. The incarnation and the Christmas story is one of the best known, if not the most known, story in your Bible. Very well known. It's probably the least understood. A lot of people know the story. Very few people, if anyone, fully understands it. But this story is so packed with theological truth, so packed with depth and power that it's worth taking time to look at. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, he says this, 1 Timothy 3, 16, without controversy, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in flesh. Paul says that without controversy, this mystery is great, that God showed up as a man, that he took on flesh, that he was justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, and believed on in the world, received up in glory. The incarnation, this, this truth of God taking on flesh, is more than just a theological truth or a doctrine that we believe. It's the object of worship. It's the thing that leads generation after generation, people after people, spiritual beings and angels alike to the place of worship. It's the object of contemplation where we can see the mystery and the majesty of God himself that he took on flesh. Romans 11:33 Paul's trying to describe this and all he can say is oh the depths of the riches of the wisdom of the knowledge of God how unsearchable are his ways how unsearchable are God's ways but this is joy this is worship to take time to ponder the incarnation to think deeply about the reality and the magnitude of what it means that God took on flesh, that God came in our likeness. He, he became a man. No one understands this fully. It's, it's a mystery to us. Angels are baffled, First Peter says, angels are baffled and long to look at the reality of the incarnation. Great is this mystery. The incarnation is the bedrock of what we believe. Theologically, we call it, it's the, the uh, theandric union, the hypostatic union. It's, it's the basis of what we believe, that God, Jesus Christ, is fully God, truly God. He is truly human at the same time, that he's one person. And that inside him is two distinct natures, 
He's the God-man. You can't, you can't even describe him with one of those words. You have to combine the two, the God-man. Here's what it, here's what it means, the incarnation. Without ceasing to be what he has always been, the eternal Son of God has become the human Jesus. And Jesus, without ceasing to be fully human, is the eternal Son of God. That's what we celebrate. And that should lead us to wonder, as we read these stories and we, we hear the story of Christmas, it should lead us to wonder, what is it? What is it about humans that so pleased God, that, so, that he loved so much that he would take our form forever? What is it about us that right now, think about it for a minute, right now in the throne room at the right hand of the Father is a human being, flesh and bones human. He didn't, he didn't leave his body. He still has a body. And right now, the right hand of the Father is a flesh and bones human. How awesome is that? The Old Testament was all looking forward to it. It's the, the uh, hinge that holds the whole story. And at the fullness of time, Scripture says, Galatians 4, at the fullness of time, the right appointed time, when all the pieces were in place, when everything was ready, it happens. In a little town of Bethlehem, this baby Jesus is born. It's not a trivial thing. This is not just a piece of fiction. This is a real history. God took on flesh. He dwelt among us. Literal flesh. The word incarnation literally means becoming flesh. It's, it's Latin translation out of John 1.14. And it literally means to take on flesh. The, it's kind of, this is kind of a rough way of, de, of defining this, but it's like chili. Canned chili. Anybody? Nobody like canned chili? Okay. Canned chili, the best kind, says chili con carne. <laughs> carne. Chili with meat. That's literally, that's really crass. But that's incarnation is with meat. Is God with flesh, with meat? John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Son of God, the gl glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. E. Stanley Jones, who's a famous missionary, said this, this verse, the word becomes flesh, is the great divide. In all other religions, its word become word. In all other religions, its word become a philosophy, its word become a moralism, a system, a technique of living. But for all time, for all men everywhere, the word became flesh. The idea became fact. 
The idea here is that a word is a way of me making known what's in my head. When I speak a word, I'm making clear something that's hidden in my head, something that I'm thinking. And so when John says the word became flesh, the thing that's been hidden, the glory of God that's been hidden has become flesh, and we have seen his glory. He was God in his pre-incarnate state, and he remained God in the incarnation, and we have seen his glory. The word dwelt, that word dwelt is the same word for tabernacle. Should remind us to think back to Exodus, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Exodus chapter 40, 34 says this. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So what happened in this story in the Old Testament? The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Was amongst, God was with the people. He was there in their midst, but behind the tent, hidden. God once dwelt with his people, hidden behind a tent, off limits. But now in Jesus, in the incarnation, in this Baby at Christmas, he dwelt among his people in a tent, a tabernacle of flesh, and we can see his glory. We can see the glory of God that has been hidden throughout the ages. Jesus, in Jesus, we see the very glory of God. I don't have time for a lot here tonight. I'm going to try to keep it short. Just a couple thoughts on the Christmas story. Have you ever wondered how amazing it is that God ordained beforehand, prophesied throughout the Old Testament, that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem? Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. And so he ordained that when the right time came, when the fullness of time came, he ordained that the Messiah's mother and legal father, Joseph, as they were living in Nazareth, that in order to fulfill the word of prophecy, that he would bring these two people to Bethlehem. For that first Christmas, God put it in the heart of Caesar Augustus, put it in the heart of a pagan emperor that all of the Roman Empire should be enrolled, should, should be, there should be a census, and that they should, everybody should go to their own town. You ever thought about that? Have you ever felt insignificant and little? unseen you have this poor peasant couple from a marginalized people in the corner of the empire 
And to fulfill prophecy, they need to get from one town, Nazareth, to Bethlehem. And how does it happen? God moves the heart of a wicked king, moves the heart of Caesar to decree a census to move this one couple to Bethlehem. With all the news of all the big political things that are happening, the economic stuff, social media looking, making it look like everybody's living an adventurous, lavish life, we have good reason not to be disheartened, to have joy. Scripture tells us and teaches of a, of a God tells a story of a God who will take mammoth political forces, giant industrial complexes, and move them, wield them as a tool without them even knowing to accomplish the will of God. Not for their own sake, but for God's people and for God's purposes, he moves and wields the kingdom to accomplish his goal. Don't think for a moment when you experience a little bit of adversity or discomfort that the hand of the Lord is shortened. It's not your prosperity that God is seeking anyways. It's, it's your holiness and your heart that seeks him. And to that end, he rules the whole world and he moves pieces around as he sees fit. Proverbs 21 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. He's a big God and can do as he pleases and move CEOs and kings and presidents to accomplish what he wills. Second thing I was thinking about in this story Okay, if God can do that, God can move the heart of Caesar to decree a census to move this couple from one town to the next to fulfill prophecy. Surely he could have made sure there was room in the inn. Right? Surely he could have made sure that when they show up at Bethlehem to fulfill this promise that he just moved empires for. Surely he could have made sure there was room for them in the inn. He could have. He could have done that. But for that matter, he could have been born into a wealthy family. He could have showed up as a fully grown adult. He could have turned stones into bread in the desert when he was tempted. He could have called 10,000 angels to his aid when he was at the cross. He could have pulled himself down off the cross and saved himself. The question is never what could God have done or what could God do, but what did he do? What does he will? What was he trying to accomplish? 
God's will was that through, though Christ was rich, for your sake, he became poor. Though he was fully taken care of in heaven, had no wants or desires, he, he was fully, yet for your sake, he laid down his rights and his privileges. He became poor. The, the no vacancy in the end was for your sake. God rules all things. He, he for sure rules incapacities. But even that, for the sake of his children. The journey to the cross, which is the reason he came in the first place, the journey to the cross begins with that no vacancy in Bethlehem, and it ends with spitting and scoffing. Just want to real quick, we're going to run through a few of these words. The angels spoke. The angels spoke in that passage that we read. They said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Just want to highlight, fear not. Fear not. Christmas, that's the message of Christmas. Fear not. Jesus became a man. He took on flesh that he might destroy the one and power of death, that he might destroy the devil. He took on flesh. Fear not. For there is good news of great joy. The gospel is powerful, and it brings joy. For unto you is born this day. This is really fast. I'm going to run through this. It's a real day in history. A real day. Not some made-up mythological imaginary story. A real day that we can pinpoint in history. When Caesar Augustus was emperor in Rome and when Quirinius was governor in Syria. It really happened. A day that was planned before the foundation of the earth. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. A real city. You could go there today. This is not Narnia. This is Middle Earth. This isn't a galaxy far, far away. A real city. Our Savior was born. City Bethlehem. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Jordan looked at this last week. It's born a Savior. If you ever have sinned against God, if you, if, if you ever have sinned against God, which we all have, we need a Savior. The angel said to Joseph, You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Savior, who is Christ, not just any Savior, the long-hoped-for 
Messiah. Christ means Messiah. The long-hoped-for Messiah Jesus. The final anointed king. The final anointed prophet. The final anointed priest. The Messiah. The Lord. Not just Savior. Not just long-hoped-for Messiah, but Lord. The ruler, the sovereign, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Lord of the universe, the King of kings. He is Lord. And this is Christmas. This is what we celebrate. He's the Lord of the never-ending, universal, sovereign government, the kingdom of God, the Lord of all. So the message of Christmas is fear not, because there's good news of great joy that on a real day in history, a real day in a real city, Bethlehem, a Savior who will take away your guilt, the Christ who will fulfill all your hopes, and the Lord who will defeat every enemy was born. And so we worship this Christmas that kind of an incarnate God. That's the meaning of this great news. What I love is the response here. A single angel brings this message. But evidently, not a single angel could respond. Scripture says that a multitude, verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, an army of angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest. And that's what we're here to do. That's what we exist for, is to bring God glory. Amen? Jesus, we thank you that in a real day in history, in a real city, you came. That the glory of God that was once concealed and hidden behind the veil and behind the tabernacle has been made known to us in the person of Jesus. That we have seen your glory and that we have the privilege and opportunity day in and day out to behold the beauty and the majesty and the glory of God. God, we thank you that you came as Savior, as Messiah, and as Lord. Jesus, we worship you tonight. We say glory to God in the highest. Jesus, you are worthy of our praise. Amen.